When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I didn't think so. No. All right. We're rolling. Ready? All right. Welcome in. You know what that music means. It's time for a new episode of UAP, the Unidentified Alien Podcast. I'm Stephen Diener. Over there is Karen Curtis. Hello. Hi. And we have some uh, great stuff as usual for you today. Yes. I want to start out, you know how I always have a tidbit. Oh, yeah. You always have your factoid, please. I do. Uh, So there was a mysterious light at Fenway Park. It halted the ALCS Game 5. That's right. I saw that. I heard Joe Buck going, what is that light out in center field? And they thought it was like aliens spying on the game. Yes. Yeah, a new spy gate. Maybe they were giving signals to... Maybe it's gonna be a fastball. (laughs) So this mysterious light was coming through the center field wall at Fenway Park, and the umpires actually stopped play before the bottom of the fifth when the bright light was visible between, you know, at the center field wall, and then the light soon disappeared and then came back on. Oh. What was it? So apparently, because I look, we all got really excited. We're like, yeah, this is it. It's happening. They're invading a baseball game. Everyone's watching national television. But it turns out, supposedly anyway, that it was some type of camera crew in the back because yes. there's a staging area back there behind the wall. It was the bleacher bar. Yes, the bleacher bar, as they call it. And they were setting up their cameras for post-game interviews. So not aliens, not this time. Just some cameramen who were uh, being a little bit too... Loud and and noticeable, I guess. <laughs> Light me well, put me on. <laughs> I, and it looks like it might be lights out for the Red Sox. But anyway, well, now, Stephen, we're going to we'll talk see. about a 900-foot-tall shaft of yeah. ragged rock. What the hell is Devil's Tower in my, Wyoming? Yeah, so and this is the first part of what we're going to talk about today, which is a famous U.S. landmarks. So we're focusing solely today on the United States. I know we always like to go really around the world. We've done a lot with England, Australia, South America. But today we wanted to look at, you know what? I know we've there's all these amazing things happening around the world when it comes to UFOs and unexplained stories and sightings. But there's so much that's happened here and been discovered here that we still have questions for. So we thought, let's look at some landmarks here that have some connections to extraterrestrials and some weird phenomenon going on. Yeah, I mean, we walk around this earth, we think we know our own planet. Right. We, we don't. No, you know, I you know what I always felt, Karen, and I think Devil's Tower is a good example. I feel like the I, I hate to say ancient people, but you know, like Native Americans and people who lived here thousands of years ago, were more in touch yes. with the land and the country and what it had to offer than we are today because we're so distracted by yeah. things now. We're just walking around looking at our phones and all this stuff's going on. We have no idea. It's kind of scary. But 
we have some sound here from, he's a professor of earth science. So if anyone should know about the earth, it should be this guy at Washington University. And mm-hmm. he explains that, you know, Devil's Tower is a national monument. It's kind of located in Wyoming in the northeast corner. And, of course, it was featured in the climax of Close Encounters. Right. And here's what he has to say about it. Devil's Tower is remarkable because you can drive across these sedimentary plains, see nothing but flat ground for miles and miles, and then this tall, dark tower emerges as you drive towards it. There is nothing like it in the surrounding area. The rock has a grayish, even a greenish gray color. And so as you approach Devil's Tower, it's a distinct, stark contrast to the sort of tans and browns of the surrounding sedimentary rocks. Do, 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 do. Right. <laughs> now, of course, it, look, Devil's Tower has always been kind of synonymous with, you know, some natural or unnatural phenomenon. And, you know, they, they can sound very ominous there in, in that clip. But it's it's really an amazing um, structure, a natural structure that people still kind of want. There's always theories. Maybe it was the middle of a, of a volcano. or But there's no volcanic action there. No, exactly. So how was this structure made? Now, there's some ancient um, Indian folklore. They, they call it Bear Mountain, actually, oh, okay. or Bear Rock. Because the old uh, stories there were that uh, giant bear was clawing at the mountain, and it that's why it looks like, like that. It looks like that, right? Right, right. So that's kind of like in you know American Indian folklore, anyway. Yeah. So again, there. it was the first natural formation in the U.S. to be declared a national monument. That mm-hmm. was in 1906. Teddy Roosevelt sought to protect it as an object of scientific interest. Yes, that's true. So, but you know, you're asking. Okay, there's no volcanic activity there, so what gives? How did it form? There are many theories about it, but there's no agreement on what it was that produced this miracle of nature. It is made of volcanic-type materials, but there's no other volcanic activity around it. So what caused this thing? We don't know the answer to that question. It's a really interesting conundrum. Well, aren't there geologists that study rocks? I mean, they're like... Yeah, and you know... They're rock people. They're, and they found that basically it does have that material. Like you know? a basalt, though, a greenish gray color. Yeah. So it's it's interesting, though. And, and, you know, you make a good point, Karen, when they deem this, you know, a, a national park and they, they put the designation on there of scientific interest. What's what is it, though? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And what does Steven Spielberg know, you know, with E.T. and right. and he did <laughs> close encounters. Yeah. And he knows something. He must be like tuned into the Acoustic record. Maybe he is. He knows what's going <laughs> on that he used Devil's Tower in that movie, too. So that's sort of interesting. And then E.T. kind of looks like the aliens that we've been talking about but you know we don't like we said don't understand our earth as much as we like to walk around with the confidence that we know this planet and we understand the planet we live on there seems to be nothing but mystery on this planet we don't understand how to predict earthquakes we don't understand how lightning travels there's so many questions that we have about what produces the forces of nature it's a good point and, you know, here we are, we always think we're so advanced and we have all these rockets and, you know, all these phones and all this technology. And, we don't know diddly. You know, sometimes nature has to put us back in our place and think, oh, you think you know it all? Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm going to send a tsunami that nobody sees coming, <laughs> exactly. you know? Exactly. Yeah, well, they've got, well, at least with tsunamis, they've got those uh, buoys out there that can yeah. detect. But with an earthquake, you just don't know. Here we know when there's a hurricane, even before it forms. 
the Na- the National Hurricane Center can put up a right. warning and a watch before it's even formed because they know conditions are right. But with a Oh my gosh, with an earthquake, I wouldn't like to live in an area that has earthquakes. Yeah, it's kind of scary. Sure. But you're going to tell us about a little thing that's going on at Devil's Tower if you're a UFO enthusiast. <laughs> Save the date. That's right. So this will, unfortunately, it already passed this year because they do it around uh, September. Okay. But it's something they started in back in 2017. September 14th through the 16th was the first annual Devil's Tower UFO rendezvous, oh, Karen. Rendezvous. What do you get? Do you rendezvous on top? Can you climb it? No, you, unfortunately. You're not allowed to yeah. climb it? Well, they do have people people who climb it, okay. uh, you know, free climbers and things like that. I'm not exactly sure on the rules of you can climb to the top, how far you can go. I certainly would not try. But we're going to be going on a road trip, actually. My wife and the kids. Yeah. In March. The wife. Yes. So I don't know when you're going to be listening to this, but we're going in March of 2022. Um, as of now, it's October when we're recording this. So, but I think we're going to be heading up that way. Cool. And I might actually see Devil's Tower. Maybe I'll see aliens on the road trip. Maybe you will. Yes. And so I... I did say it was 900 feet of turgid stone, mm-hmm. but it's they say it's 1,267 feet tall. It's it's huge. I mean that's that's the bottom line. It's it's an amazing structure. It's basically a natural uh, skyscraper. If you want to think right, of it that that's way? That's a good one. It's part of the Black Hills Mountain Range, and the monolith was formed from cooled magma exposed through erosion. So I mean, so the magma stayed there, and everything else kind of maybe washed away. Mm-hmm. Is what they're saying. That's pretty much what they're saying. So, you know, look, we don't know how things were in ancient times in the country. And, you know, as far as maybe there were other volcanoes that are just gone now, but there would be some type of trace of that. So it's it's very odd. But they do have this rendezvous. Maybe we can go next year, Karen. Yeah, and there's the cash September. prizes, man, for the best parade float and costume. You can go as E.T. Yes, I love it. It sounds oh, like a lot of fun. Phone they had a they have a big crowd at these things. Every they, year. I'm sure they do. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, I used to think you were nuts, but now since the government said, "Hey, there's really UFOs out there," I'm like, maybe Stephen knows something. And then you've got this whole cache of information that you've been accumulating on your phone about UFOs and aliens and weird stuff. And no one else on the planet has all of this stuff at your fingertips or their fingertips, and you have it. Yeah. Well. So you are you are like. The complete reason we're doing the podcast. No, I'm glad. You, one day, just a backstory, Karen texted me and said, you should do a podcast on aliens. Uh, all right, I guess. And UFOs. Now here we are. And so we do appreciate everybody who's been listening, who's enjoying it. We're glad you're enjoying it. You could always go back, if this is your first time hearing the show, and find all the other shows on 850WFTL.com or Apple or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Download, subscribe, give us five nice extraterrestrial stars, as we like to say, and And uh, keep enjoying it. Steve is the one that came up with the name UAP. I didn't even know what UAP meant because I'm familiar with little, I wanted to call it Fifty Shades of Greys. (laughs) We were turned down. Yeah, no. But tell, explain what UAP is because it's becoming more and more prevalent. Yeah, so it all happened really uh, as far as the timing of this was because that's when the governments and Congress, they were going through that whole um, you know, disclosure. They were going to give us all the information they knew on UFOs, and finally they had come out with it. And but the term that the government uses is UAP, which is unidentified aerial phenomenon. Ah, uh, see. So we thought, well, that would be kind of fun. We can play off of that, and it's unidentified alien podcast. So. And it's one of the most Googled acronym out there. It's it's searched for a lot. You know, we're always used to saying UFO. We say UFO a lot here on the show. Right. But 
according to the government, they're called UAP because I think they just they felt like UFO had a negative connotation to it over the years. People hear UFO and they think, oh, the little green man, you're crazy. Yeah. And then we also talked about the USOs, right? Right. That was the previous episode. If you want to hear that one, USOs are unidentified submerged objects. Yeah. Super interesting. I think that was episode 14, 13, somewhere in there. In that range. But you're going to tell us next about a secret cave in the Grand Canyon. I'm not clear. Did they find the cave or not? And it's like big enough to hold 50,000 people. So it seems like it would be easy enough to find. And there was some like... 1500 steps heading up to it sandstone steps i'm so fascinated by this story this is one of those stories that you can say maybe there's some type of alien phenomenon involved or if not then how did ancient egyptians get to america thousands of years ago so let me explain that comment this is it's such a fascinating story it's compelling really when you think about in the early 1900s, there was a guy who may or may not have actually existed named G.E. Kincaid. No, he did. In fact, according to Jerry Willis, who's a Grand Canyon explorer, he says the Smithsonian hired him to investigate and look for the cave. Right. And he it's was so, hired by the Smithsonian. That's right. And so this, this all goes into cover-up mode in the early 1900s, 1909 to be exact, back in April. And he went to go investigate and supposedly found this like secret entrance, so to speak, of this amazing pathway of caves and uh, Egyptian hieroglyphics or hieroglyphs in these caves and artifacts from Egypt. I mean, it's like. So yeah, how does that happen? Right. How is that? How is that there in 1909? Now remember, it's not like someone could just fly to the Grand Canyon and place Egyptian artifacts in 1909. Okay, I mean the Wright brothers had only invented flight six years before that, so you know intercontinental uh, yeah. travel wasn't really a thing in 1909. And the Phoenix Gazette anyway. published a story, two stories about it. In right. So you know it, there was a public. That's when the media published like, "Hey, this is going on. This is news," without having a filter or an angle, you know, or a narrative, and so. I think maybe we should believe the Phoenix Gazette. It's interesting to think that, you know, this is something that was reported in the paper. Now, naysayers will say, well, that was just, you know, for, you know, clickbait, so to speak, that's before no, clickbait. That's, I think, yeah. I'm with you. I'm, yeah. I'm with you. You know, you always, but you always have your, your skeptics, which is fine. You know, if you're a skeptic and you're listening, by all means, we don't tell you what to believe. We give you the story. We present to you that's the facts, right. That's right. or at least the reported facts, and you make up your own mind. And this is one of those stories. So if we're talking about G.E. Kincaid, who supposedly was hired by the Smithsonian to investigate these reported caves in the Grand Canyon, he finds them reportedly literally reportedly from the from the Phoenix uh, Gazette through his trip down the Colorado River and then all of a sudden everyone starts to discount it and say no no it's not true and then they uh, accuse well, yeah. the Smithsonian of a cover up because then it changes world history if you're the- talking about hieroglyphics and ancient yeah. e- Egyptian artifacts in the Grand Canyon then how do you how do you explain that it's like uh Neil Grass DeGrasse Tyson yeah. saying that there's no Pluto. Uh, but here is our uh, Jerry Willis, the Grand Canyon Explorer. Yeah, it is. And you know, the person who did this exploration was G.E. Kincaid. He'd been hired by the Smithsonian and he went pretty much looking for this cave full of treasure and this lost city that's down there. Kincaid knew what he was looking for. He pretty much went to the spot, found a series of steps that went up the cliff wall went into the cave, he found not only hieroglyphs, but he found all kinds of artifacts. Statuary, there were mummies in there. There were indeed pieces of uh, 
gold and silver. Yeah, and so the Smithsonian, who hired G.E. Kincaid to look for the lost city and the cave full of treasure, say it's a hoax. You know, and it's funny. This reminds That's me so weird of of uh, what we talked about last week with Valiant Thor. Right. Again, if you missed the, you can go back and listen. Um, uh, what do we call Alien? Quarter, alien he's a quarterback agents for the uh, Michigan Wolverines. Right. It was the previous episode, Alien Agents in the U.S. Government, and the highlight of the episode was Valiant Thor, who was supposedly an alien that came from Venus, was trying to come to Earth to help us in the fifties to basically advance our society and create world peace and disease and all that good stuff. Sure disease get rid of you know all kinds of weapons and just live together peacefully but the u.s government and supposedly the vatican declined and said we like things the way they are because people depend on us and it wouldn't be good for the economy right so if that's the case if you want to go by that philosophy then you also have to think well if the smithsonian if kincaid finds all these things and he reports his findings then the smithsonian and quite frankly the government have reason to cover it up and say well you know what we really don't want to rewrite human history, so let's make believe this never happened. Thanks for thanks for looking, though. And here's what uh, Jerry Willis has to say about the hoax, the cover-up. We contact the Smithsonian. They deny that there's a cave, that there's any evidence, that there was anything here. They're covering it up? Oh, they absolutely are. We came here trying to find the truth. Kathy, my wife, did oh. the research over a number of years and finally pinpointed a spot that we believe is exactly where this would need to be if it truly existed. Now, you mentioned earlier, Karen, that Kincaid estimated that at least 50,000 people had lived there at one time. Inside of it, so big, but it wasn't a natural cave. It was carved, carved. out of the rock. Right. Hand carved. So how is that possible? Not natural. This is, this is where the questions start to come in. So if these caves exist, how is that hand carved with that much space for essentially a city, an ancient city to live in? And I remember- What the, kind of tools did they have to do that? Good question. I remember a kid having to do um, a diorama. Remember that? Sure. <laughs> of a Pueblo building. Oh, okay. And they're thinking the Pueblo people who lived there, this could belong to them. But Kincaid described the city as having an Oriental, which I'm not supposed to say. No. An Asian- or Egyptian flavor. Huh. Hard, uh, hand-carved tunnels and caves, and they're said to be, they had mummies, he said, a shrine with a figure sitting cross-legged, holding a lotus flower or a lily. It resembled Buddha. Yeah. Hieroglyphic <laughs> uh, writings, war weapons, copper instruments with sharpened edges, hard as steel. You know, and like you said, 50,000 people could live in there. What is that all doing there? So if these reports are true and they've, you know, they've been investigated and we still don't really know what's true and what's not with this. But it's it's unbelievable really to think about because if there is any semblance of truth to this, it changes everything. It does. Because then you talk about, again, how did it get there? Why was it there? And who helped them to build all that stuff? And well, to carve out the caves. Good question. And there's over 400 Native American sites around the Grand Canyon right. National Park dating back as far as 12,000 years. Amazing. So maybe Kincaid was mistaken in his identification of the origins of the cave. I don't know, but a lotus flower and, you know, a mummy. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> it makes you wonder. So, I again, it's one of those cases that's compelling. It's It's fascinating because you start to think, well, if that's true, then... How do you explain it? <laughs> you know? So I I don't know. We we chalked that one up, Karen, to uh unsolved mysteries. Big time. Yes. Very fascinating to think about.
And our climax, our crescendo for this podcast is UFOs over Washington, D.C. Hello. And the Capitol building. So what the heck are you talking about? So this this really happened. um, Because again, now remember, please, that UFO means unidentified flying object. We're not talking about January 6th. And we know some weird things happen at the Capitol. Yes, daily quite frankly <laughs> but there's we're talking back in 1952 and when you report something as a ufo again that's why the government changed the term to uap for unidentified aerial phenomenon because when people hear ufo they're conditioned on purpose by the way to think and that's that's you know manip, uh, manipulation of the mind to think ufo ah oh, that's baloney that stuff is hokey i don't want to hear about that but ufo literally means unidentified Flying object. Right. Something right. in the air that you don't know what it is. Correct. It could be anything. It could be a freaking balloon or it could be an alien spaceship. It, we, right. It could be one of ours, one of theirs. We right. don't know. But, you know, 1952 was one of the biggest years for UFO sightings. It was. And it's interesting. This timeline is very intriguing, Karen, because this is something we picked up on when we were doing the research for this episode. And that, okay, so. First, let me get to the story. In 1952, specifically in July, they started seeing, over about a course of a week or two, all these mysterious lights coming over the Capitol building, which we'll have that picture up on 850WFTL.com. You can see the lights over the Capitol building as reported back then. Um, just, again, just search uh, UAP. It'll be on our blog there on, on the website. And they start seeing all these things. They're flying over D.C., and they start to wonder, what the heck are these things? So it gets investigated. It gets reported in the newspapers. It's on the nightly news. The general has to uh, General Samford, who you'll hear here uh, in, in a little bit, has to come out. And, they, of course, they start denying it. things. Right. So I, The Air Force is like, okay, well, we scrambled jets. we got to talk about it. But a UFO historian, Curtis Peebles, called the incident the climax of the 1952 UFO flap. Not to be confused with the climaxes that occurred in the 1990s. But anyway, oh, hey, um, never before or after did Project <laughs> Blue Book and the Air Force undergo such a tidal wave of UFO reports. And here's some of the reporting. Washington International was picking up UFO returns. People were reporting sightings of strange lights in the sky. You've got these reports of these objects flying over the nation's capital. Then it happens again a week later. The press, having gone through this thing the week before, were better prepared and they were down at the Washington International Airport asking what these things were that were being picked up by radar. We were getting the target returns on the ground about two or three in the morning. We were still getting these returns. Two F-94 jet interceptors are scrambled from Andrews Air Force Base. This time, one of the pilots reported that he did see a group of lights, and he flew towards them, and they appeared to be all around him. Then they moved off, according to the ground radar and his report. President Truman got on the phone and called high-level people trying to figure out what was going on. Government people coming out of their offices saw these objects, and you couldn't tell them that it hadn't happened. So the Air Force had to say something. They held the largest press conference since the end of World War II, and the head of Air Force Intelligence, General Samford, said... I am here to discuss the so-called flying saucers. General Samford and the rest of the Air Force uh, brass believe that these lights were caused from temperature inversion. And when that happens, that can cause anomalies in the radar. Radar signals can bounce and cause all kinds of mirages and illusions. I can't think that that explains the lights that these pilots are reported. The senior traffic controller, Harry Barnes, said, not a chance. We know through declassified literature, no one was really taking this weather explanation seriously. 
Nobody thought that was true because the Air Force had been chasing those objects. The Air Force baked it, the press served it, and the public ate it. That's really what happened. Done and done. What do you think? Well, it lines up with everything that we've talked about in previous episodes. Actually, last week it does, because last week we talked about the Majestic 12. And that was, you know, again, it's one of those conspiracy theories, but... Is it really conspiracy anymore? It kind of makes sense in my mind anyway. And the Majestic 12 was formed around the time of Roswell, 1947, supposedly, of 12 of the highest ranking officials, scientists uh, in the government. And they were tasked with looking into the stuff and with covering it up. So you're talking five years later now, 1952, and it's happening over the nation's capital. So what are they going to do? They're going to cover it up. They're going to go by, by the protocol. And that's exactly what the Air Force did. Well, it's a weather anomaly. Really? So, so you had fighter pilots chasing a weather anomaly? Come on. No, you can't discount. The pilots are seeing the same thing and describing the same thing right. that we hear over and over from pilots even today. Exactly. About how this object moves. So here is... The actual newsreel report from 1952 with General Samford's statement included. In Washington, ghost-like objects dart across the radar screen at the CAA Traffic Control Center at National Airport for several hours, traveling more than 100 miles an hour. Air Force jet fighters spend several hours chasing the objects plotted on the radar scope. General Sanford, Air Force Intelligence Director, confirms that the objects are not secret American weapons and reiterates the Air Force's obligation to investigate. In pursuit of this obligation since 1947, we have received and analyzed between one and 2,000 reports that have come to us from all kinds of sources. Of this great mass of reports, we have been able adequately to explain the great bulk of them, explain them to our own satisfaction. However, there have been a certain percentage of this volume of reports that have been made by credible observers of relatively incredible things. It is this group of observations that we now are attempting to resolve. We have, as of date, come to only one firm conclusion with respect to this remaining percentage, and that is that it does not contain any pattern of purpose all of consistency that we can relate with any to any conceivable threat to the United States. So don't worry. Mm, right. It's not a threat. We don't know what the hell it is, but it's not a threat. Doesn't that sound similar? And by the way, just side note, don't you love those old-timey gonna, news re- reports? I'm going to do my news that way now. Oh, I love those. At this point, other <laughs> objects appeared in all sectors of the radar skull. <laughs> I love those. So good. But no, it's... It's just ridiculous to me because how how similar does that sound to today? Yeah. We don't know what... Literally, that was That's the congressional report that came out. We don't know what it is, but we don't think it's a, it's a threat. But we still don't know what they are. What? Yeah. We're still saying the same stuff. And it's amazing, too. And you made a good point, Karen. What the pilots were reporting in 1952 from those UFOs, UAPs, over the Capitol are exactly the same type of reports that we hear today. Yes. Even from the pilots off of the, you know, the uh, USS Nimitz. Right. And the famous case from 2004 yeah, with, they, with the Tic Tac UFO. It's right. it's it's flying very at high speeds, it's a bright light, it's making maneuvers that we can't explain. How can you have identical descriptions of something 70 years apart and not question what is out there? What is being seen? 
Just ask the pilots of the United States Air Force F-94 Starfire fighter jets from Newcastle Air Force Base in Delaware. When they got over Washington, all the objects vanished from the radar at the National Airport. However, when the jets ran low on fuel and left, the objects returned. How do you like that? Uh, now, those weather anomalies are tricky, Karen, I'll tell you. And their UFOs were maybe monitoring radio traffic and behaving accordingly. Right. Right. That I mean, is so weird. They're responding... Yeah. to, you know, the, the the chase, really. And they're trying to go after him. But we mentioned earlier, too, when it comes to the timeline that, that we kind of realized as we were uh, building this, this part of the show, 1952, okay, think about this. If you heard the previous episodes, you would have heard about when uh, President Eisenhower, who wasn't, um, I was going to say inducted, inaugurated until 1953. Now, at this point, Truman was the president in 1952, was at the end of his presidency. Now, what did we talk about with Eisenhower in our Presidents and Aliens episode way back when? He had that meeting, supposedly, with the Greys and the Nordics yes, in or, Palm or Springs. got a new crown, but we don't know. That was literally the report from the White House. Why was the president out at the middle of the night on his uh, vacation? Well, he chipped a tooth and had to go to the dentist. At three in the morning? Yes. Okay. So <laughs> that, yeah. was, that was the report that they gave. So... Now, if you want to believe he had a chipped tooth and needed a dentist at 3 in the morning, or if he was going to uh, Vandenberg Air Force Base to meet with Greys and Nordics, you decide. But the timeline here is extremely compelling. When you think about 1952, these things are flying over the Capitol, and then in 1953, Eisenhower becomes president, and within that time frame of his presidency, he's reportedly meeting with aliens to go over how they can exchange goods for technology. And Reagan knew something, too, by the way. That's what they say. Because that's all in the Presidents and Aliens episode, Yes, exactly. Go back to that. What are we doing next week? Oh, so next week, I get, I'm excited. I'm always excited for, the, for these. But next week, you know, we, we never actually covered Roswell. And some people might be thinking, how are you going to be a, a podcast about the unknown and the unexplained with aliens and UFOs and such? You don't talk about Roswell? It's just kind of, we know it, okay? We know it. It's, We're almost sick of it. Yeah, it's... Area 51, okay, scan, discard, move on. We, we get it. You know about it. We know about it. We want to try to do something different. That was the whole goal of this podcast, is to hopefully tell you things that you've never heard of before. Maybe you have, but you didn't know that much about it. So instead of talking about Roswell, I want to get into other Roswells, so to speak. Famous... Or or should be should be more famous things that have happened yeah. within the United States um, that were essentially the same or more compelling than the actual Roswell incident in 1947. Wow, there's a lot of incidents, Karen, that remain unexplained that had hundreds of witnesses. One of them, and we'll get into it in depth next week or next time, even goes back to 1897. No, six years before the Wright brothers invented flight, and well, there's some people in Texas who say they saw something crash and even had a burial for an they alien body. The alien. And I think we've got sound from the old lady who was alive at the time. We're going to try. Yeah, we'll dig her up. <laughs> we'll dig her up. Yeah, exactly. It was amazing. It's, it's, it's an unbelievable, well, unbelievable stories, but that one especially. So wait until you hear that next time on UAP. That'll be episode 18. But so excited. Thanks for listening to this one. Really good stuff. Thanks for dropping by. And again, thanks for always listening to these. And if you want to hear more, 850WFTL.com. You can find all the past episodes. Go to Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast to find this one and all the previous episodes. And don't forget to download and subscribe. Please. Yes. Give us five stars. Yeah, that too. Yeah. <laughs> so, Thanks for joining us. Until next time, it's Stephen Diener here, Karen Curtis there. Have a good day.